You're listening to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Let's return now to a continuing session from the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians, or ACOFP. Speaking is Dr. Susan Zito, faculty rheumatologist at the Largo Medical Center in Largo, Florida. Anti-inflammatory drugs in um, fibromyalgia have never by themselves been uh, able to demonstrate efficacy, but again, you're always supposed to be on the hunt for this original source of what the pain was, because it is just important to try to um, fix that problem, because that's what's causing the nerves to upregulate themselves. When you're treating fibromyalgia and downregulating the nerves, you still want to be uh, very um, astute towards finding that original source of chronic pain. In um, rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, not everybody needs to have a positive rheumatoid factor or positive CCP, and also some of them don't demonstrate, like I said, uh, positive SED rates or even CRPs. You can demonstrate bone marrow edema, synovitis, fluid and erosions on MRI and ultrasound studies, and those people can literally be seronegative or blood negative. So I would highly recommend um, if anyone has a chronic pain state and it seems global, do try them on an empiric steroid. If they have any response, that should clue you in that maybe they actually do have some sort of rheumatic entity, rheumatic inflammatory arthritis um, that is blood negative and would need a MRI to diagnose it. And that was part of the reason the American College of Rheumatology redid the whole um, criteria for rheumatoid arthritis and put out new guidelines that can exclude someone having a high SED rate or CRP. Some of the other novel uh, treatments that are being tested are growth hormone. Um, there's a lot of popular med spa diets that involve this that people are having luck with. And um, it's interesting because for a lot of the rheumatoid arthritis patients, we've often seen them remit in pregnancy, which seems to have to do with this entity a little bit. Um, and they're starting to dabble in looking at it uh, to help with chronic pain states as well. The dopamine agonists alone are worth uh, mentioning as well. Something like Boost Bar, which is going to be your uh, closest of the straight dopamine entities, that might be something uh, also that would be the key neuromodulator for a particular patient that's not responding to Cymbalta, which has all three, or Civella, which is norepinephrine prominent, or one of your SSRIs, which is serotonin prominent, you could try um, Boost Bar. Or you could add that to, say, a serotonin agent, because we don't have a dopamine serotonin alone agent to try for fibromyalgia. So if you're, um, although it's not um, strictly FDA approved for that, that's something in clinical practice that um, I have luck with when they have not had uh, a good response with the traditional medicines. So we, of course, want to um, maximize the pharmacologic uh, treatment with fibromyalgia best we can to downregulate those neuromodulators. But you can encourage patients that they also can still do their part as what you had been recommending in the past before we understood that these medications could help. 
like I said, exercise does increase endogenous endorphins. And so that's, that's helping with the CNS as well. And maybe sending them for a sleep study to discover if they have any sleep abnormalities um, is uh, uh, another thing that will help maximize their stage three and four sleeps and then help them basically wear and tear all day but then repair at night instead. It's very hard to fix someone with chronic fatigue and pain that is not sleeping correctly. And as you know from all of the sleep studies that you can get um, these days, we're not just interested if they have sleep apnea. There's a lot of information on them that you can utilize to your advantage. Um, they record the positions that the patients are in, so you can see are they having more awakenings every time they roll onto their right side of their body or the left or, uh, you know, prone, supine, and then you can also look if there's uh, any periodic limb uh, movement disorders, if there's central apnea, if it seems like there's, um, you know, uh, if you have a thin person and they are demonstrating uh, difficult sleep, it is still worthwhile to send them for some of the studies, even though not necessarily suspecting true obstructive apnea. Um, because there's often a lot of information on those that you can help with, night terrors, palpitations, things of that nature. Vitamin D is worth um, mentioning because oftentimes very low vitamin D levels lead to the, the bone the bones basically stealing it from the muscles uh, as if they're on a bisphosphonate, um, some like actinel, Fosamax, and they're having a lot of um, intolerance because of achy bones or muscle pain. Do check their vitamin D 25-OH level. If it is less than 30, and in some people even less than 50, they'll feel symptoms. Um, and uh, you know, certainly if it's under 20, some of their musculoskeletal complaints could be due to this. Anyone that is on a bisphosphonate, actually there's new evidence that if you aim for a level of 80, 80, that will actually help the bisphosphonate work better. Um, and like I said, over 50, it would be very rare for them to have any complaints musculoskeletal-wise. So that's something that will help your patients if their um, bone densities don't seem to be going up with the standard treatment. Pay attention to that 25-OH level to uh, maximize that value so that you can help that medication work better and prevent them from having any of the signs and symptoms, which could be muscle weakness, heavy feeling in the legs, um, symptoms worse in the winter if uh, you're in a place where um, the sun doesn't shine all the time. And then just regular bone pain or tenderness um, when you press, which is exactly mim mimicking what a tender point is. Magnesium is another thing that you can very easily check on a lab. And as you know, this is involved in a lot of muscle cramping, restless legs, heart palpitations. And um, B12 might go along with this too. B12 and magnesium, the absorption is both blocked by PPIs. So if someone's been on long-standing PPIs, these levels might be a little bit deficient in them, B12, magnesium, and vitamin D. And just by getting those levels up over time, which can take up to six months, especially with the vitamin D, but you might notice a dramatic decrease in their allodynia and hyperesthesia, especially if you're then able to downregulate the neurons um, as well. But magnesium has been demonstrated to be um, 
associated with teeth grinding, uh, constipation, spasms, difficulty falling asleep, you know, as well as what we think about with the, with the nocturnal restless legs and um, muscle cramps. The other one I should have put on, too, is probably coenzyme Q10. As you know, the cardiologists love and, uh, the levels over 2.5. And the American College of Rheumatology actually came out with a position statement about this, as you know, for statin myopathies, people with CPKs that are on red rice yeast or any of the statins. Um, oftentimes in rheumatology, we'll have consults um, for that. And if we're able to get their coenzyme Q10 levels over 2.5, they're actually able to restart some of their statins, whereas they were deemed intolerable before. And again, for some of this vague musculoskeletal pain that doesn't seem to be from uh, an inflammatory or process, that's an easy thing. Uh, that lab is readily available. Um, many of the uh, LabCorp and Quest uh, companies are already printing on there the guidelines for cardiovascular disease being over 2.5. And you can think about for mus musculoskeletal ideologies as well. Even some of the irritable bowel, because of the smooth muscle, can be improved with um, coenzyme Q10 levels over 2.5. Um, IgE or IgG allergy panels are readily available. Why we care really in rheumatology is because, as you know, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, those are all diseases where the immune system is so ramped up fighting against uh, the patient that any sort of IgE allergy that is on, bo on board as well can actually have negative impacts on that inflammatory state. So because the blood testing is so readily available, um, you know, if you're able to demonstrate for someone that they actually are allergic to eggs or gluten or something that they consume every day, and you can actually have them eliminate that, uh, there's uh, lots of people that can benefit. And most of the time, it's elimination for about three months to be able to see if there's a, a impact. You could just do order a basic food, um, allergy panel, and then you can also um, order region-specific, which is what we often do. And, and that will give you all the common uh, mites and molds and trees and grasses, uh, penicillin and a bunch of other things. And you can see if someone's allergic to mites as well, they are basically sleeping with the enemy for eight hours a day. And I've had lots of patients referred to rheumatology because of fibromyalgia. And it turns out they have a severe mite allergy. And they just needed to have um, uh, treatment for that and <laughs> uh, little lifestyle changes and uh, they're able to get more restful sleep and uh, less uh, inflammation from their allergy. If we're looking for strong evidence versus modest evidence versus weak evidence of our non-medication entities, you'll see that there is very strong evidence to encourage physical activity. Um, you know, I think exercise is healthy for everyone but in moderation, of course, Aristotle was a genius, everything in moderation. I tell the patients, listen to your body. If it feels good, keep doing it. If it doesn't, then let me know. And sometimes that's how we diagnose an arthritis as well, because um, they are able to tell me what is hurting 
For instance, benign joint hypermobility syndrome, or Ehlers-Danlos type 3, the people that are very flexible and double-jointed when they're children, um, when they get to be 40, 50, 60, they get a stiffening and um, uh, basically frequent tendon and ligament sprains and strains because the joint structures are lax. And they basically will go from having a pain in one joint to, say, the ankle, walking differently, getting a pain in the hip and the back then, and nothing's showing up on imaging. If you do a Baton score and see if they can bow their elbows and their knees, if they can touch their thumb, and if their MCPs are, are able to um, go 90 degrees instead of 30, if they can put their hands on the floor, especially if they're over the age of 40, bend down with palms down, um, that meets criteria for the Baton score and at least benign joint hypermobility syndrome. Those people, it's a collagen disorder. They easy bruise, sometimes have dry mouth and gum problems. That might be the hot plate that originally started the nerves to be hyper-excited. And the treatment for that disease is basically just um, educational physical therapy, where the physical therapists measure the laxity of the joints. They tell them it's your ankles, knees, and that shoulder that's most likely to cause you problems. And then once they're able to learn and uh, um, identify that that's the issue, they can understand why they have pain in those areas and do something about it. That's where manipulation comes into play and basically helping to control the, the whole hot plate original source of the pain. Like I said, also maximize nutrition, sleep. If you're checking levels of magnesium, B12, coenzyme Q10, vitamin D, and they're all low, well, send them to the gastroenterologist. Maybe they have an absorption problem um, and uh, an, an associated bowel disease with musculoskeletal complaints like the enteropathic um, arthropathies. Acupuncture, um, uh, biofeedback, ballion therapy, E-STEM, that all kind of just has modest evidence and uh, weak evidence basically is ultrasound, trigger point injections, and massage, just because it doesn't have lasting results. Not that, that they can't be tools utilized for turning off the source of the chronic pain in the first place. That's always worthwhile to do as adjunctive therapy. So the first line approach, basically, um, for moderate severe pain, you're wanting to rule out other uh, other entities that perhaps um, go along with fibromyalgia. But if you're suspecting that somebody has that, after an empiric trial of a steroid, per se, to see if they respond or do not, if you're thinking they have fibromyalgia, then it's a good idea to educate them about how you're going to try to decrease the excited states of the neurons. Sometimes they're so um, frustrated by taking all these medicines just to alleviate a symptom that it's very um, empowering to them to know that finally we have some treatments that will downregulate and eventually solve the problem as long as we're um, away from the original source of the pain, like I said. And then just, um, you know, I think um, when I tell them, hey, you're using up all these molecules in the periphery, that's why you're not feeling like you're um, the most motivated person, then it takes a little bit of that pressure off of them as well um, because the medications say 
some of them anyways, um, helps with depression and anxiety. And some people are afraid to admit that that's a component of what has basically happened with them. If you can describe that it's um, physiologic, they sometimes are more amenable to that type of uh, treatment. Uh, like I said, if, um, if that's not enough, add in some of the others that demonstrate uh, modest efficacy. You could add, then add in tramadol for the pain blocking effect, muscle relaxers, um, things that help induce uh, sleep as adjunctive therapies. Otherwise, um, if uh, they've never been on one of the three uh, approved medications and instead they are on all of the other things, then the goal would be once you're titrating up to the levels where they're demonstrating um, some efficacy, then you start taking the others off, basically. Just create a, a comprehensive program from them um, to go about. So in summary, fibromyalgia is now understood to be a neuronal disease. It's a, a central CNS mechanism of action um, behind the allodynia and hyperesthesia that the patients are feeling. They also think that there's a polygenetic uh, um, ideology behind it and that some people are going to be more prone to this neuronal hyperexcitability than others are. Uh, and, and even um, high pain tolerance versus low pain tolerance, that this might be genetically transmitted. Uh, deficiencies of the noradrenergic and serotonic um, activities or excess levels with the neurotransmitters, uh, glutamate, substance P, have all been demonstrated in vivo to be uh, involved through the CNS studies. Lack of sleep and exercise, remember those molecules are um, manufactured and recycled with stage three sleep. So if you get back a study and it says they have zero stage three sleep or very little stage three sleep, well, it would make sense why they would need one of these medications. Um, just like uh, narcotics can depress the natural ability to make uh, estrogen and uh, testosterone in people, uh, which are also metabolized and manufactured during sleep. Uh, treatments are aimed, um, like I said, at the uh, periphery and the joints themselves are not very efficacious unless you're trying to treat the underlying problem. So hopefully you know a little bit more about fibromyalgia. And if you have any doubts that someone might have uh, uh, inflammatory ideology behind their chronic pain state, uh, if they have just an equivocal response to steroid, it, it might even be worth uh, sending them to a rheumatologist if you're not able to get the um, small joint peripheral MRIs approved that might demonstrate a blood negative inflammatory arthritis. So thank you for inviting me. <laughs> You've been listening to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. Until then, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening.